Welcome to Demystifying Franchise Ownership, the podcast that brings you expert advice, transparency, and clarity around franchise ownership. Whether you're a prospective or current franchisee or franchisor, or simply curious about the topic, say hello to your host, Christine Givens. So welcome back to Demystifying Franchise Ownership, where I share my knowledge, experience, and hard-earned lessons learned about franchise ownership. And today, my podcast guest is Mark Schnurman. Mark is the founder and managing partner of The Perfect Franchise and is recognized as one of America's top franchise consultants. I'm turning to Mark on this episode to help us understand why the franchise landscape can be confusing. I know when I originally started looking at franchise ownership, it was like drinking from a water hose. There's so much information out there and often a lack of transparency. So I'm so excited to have Mark here today. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Christine. I'm very, very happy to be here. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of knowledge and not a lot of wisdom. There you, <laughs> there you go. We'll start off with by telling the audience, how did you even get started in the franchise industry? We each have our different stories of how it came about, but tell us how you did. Yeah, so I, I was a corporate person for a very long time, and, and I climbed the corporate ladder, and every rung made me a little bit more money and a little bit more unhappy. And ultimately, I wanted control of my day-to-day, my life. Um, it wasn't about making more money. It wasn't about building more wealth. All of those things are important, but that wasn't the driver. I was just unhappy. I was working for a husband and wife in a business that I helped grow significantly for them. I was compensated for that. And I had no control over decisions that were important. So I would be able to make decisions and then they would come in and they'd say, no, I think we need to do it this way. And they would change the decision. And it was going to be a limiter on where the business went going forward. So I had a conversation with them saying, I want to be your partner. Here's what partnership looks like. And it wasn't about the money. It was about control. And they kept promising me. They hired attorneys, paid a lot of money for the agreements, and they never would give me control. And I decided to leave at that point and wasn't 100% sure what I was going to do, but I was going to figure it out. And so with that, I, I, I left, I looked into franchising. I had a franchise consultant and looked into that, decided to do a little bit of consulting, um, more traditional. I worked, I came from the real estate industry. So worked with a couple of real estate companies, um, helping them grow their businesses, did that for about a year and then came back to franchising because I really needed a good idea. I really needed something that I could follow a process, follow a system, learn and execute. So I got into franchise consulting and it was an interesting journey for me in franchise consulting because I started off at one firm and I, I won't name firms to protect the innocent, Please. but <laughs> but uh, but I started off at a, at a franchise consulting firm that was a business opportunity, meaning it was not a franchise and they didn't necessarily handle everything appropriately in the recruiting process and that they made promises and they set expectations that weren't true. Turned out they were paying the validators, the people who were telling me how the business worked and how well I could do and what the expectations should be. They were paying them. So I left there. I went to another 
consulting firm and really learn the business at that second firm and you know very appreciative to to the team and the leadership there for, for that but they were very restrictive i had a wonderful placement and they were unhappy that i didn't use their attorney as opposed mm-hmm. to the attorney i wanted to use so i was like i don't want anyone to control me so i i i left i went to another consulting firm Again, I decided that it just wasn't right for me and ultimately started my own consulting firm earlier this year. So I wrote a book called The Perfect Franchise, which is enable enables people to understand franchising and, and helps them choose perhaps whether that's the right path for them or not and gives them insight. So I wrote the book and the book was sort of an inflection point because it got me thinking about how to you know, build a business within the franchise space. So that's the consulting path. I'm also a franchisee of one business currently with the partner. He runs the day-to-day and I was a franchisee that I had a successful exit from. I was an area developer for another franchise. So the consulting along with the two franchises, um, it's been wonderful. So franchising has been very, very good to me and my family. And you know, my wife always loved me I want to be clear on that, Christine, but she likes me a lot more now because I don't commute. I'm home. I'm happier. So it sounds like, of course, it's been great for you. We know there's so many stories out there where it hasn't been so great for individuals. Why do you think the franchise landscape is so confusing, Mike? What are some of the main reasons? There are a lot of them, right? (laughs) Um, the, the, The first is that the way the world of franchising works is different than the way the world of business in general works. And I think it starts there because you think about McDonald's, very few of us who come from the corporate world or or just the business world in general, believe that you can hire a 40, $50,000 manager, have a bunch of 16, 17 year old kids and generate multiple millions of dollars at each location. That's the McDonald's business model and a lot of other really successful franchise business models. So I think what happens is individuals extrapolate their knowledge from one area into franchising and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It does, it's not a one-to-one. So I think we, we get ourselves in trouble by not understanding the unique nature of franchising. So I think it starts there. Um, and then... I mean, I, I work with people all the time. If we focus, I'll focus on several areas. We'll talk about, you know, what, what gets candidates in trouble, you know, sort of how franchisers work, the FSO model, franchise sales organizations, uh, maybe some consulting companies and even the government, right? There are a lot of hands in franchising and they all have a unique perspective that confuses potential franchisees. So franchise candidates, again, low knowledge of franchising. And a lot of them, I have this thought process that people are, I'm a runner. So whenever I meet a new runner, I say to or from, what are you running to or what are you running from? And so that's it with a lot of franchise candidates as well. A lot of them are running from something. I'm unhappy in my job. I got laid off. Great. So why do you think franchising is the right path? You can get another job. You can switch companies. A lot of, lot of, and 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 so it, it's a lot of times we don't know how we feel 
or why we feel just as individuals about something. And I think a lot of candidates get caught up in, I need a change, I need a change. This is a change. So I, I think that's part of it. We have confirmation bias. When you so want to run from something, you you find it there. Absolutely. Even though the first consulting firm I was with misled me, I probably wanted to be misled. So when they told me what I wanted to hear, I, I grabbed it. I didn't dig deeper. So I, I own that. And I think a lot of franchisees have to own that. Absolutely. Franchisees don't always follow the system. I had a client who in same brand was the rookie of the year in two, in 2022 with one brand did just under a million dollars in revenue in his first year, which is fabulous. I have a client I placed in a, the same brand this year, who's really struggling. He made some decisions not to follow the brand's process that got him in trouble and continue to get him in trouble. So I think sometimes we don't follow the system again, because we know what works in business. So we know what's going to work in this franchise. And it doesn't always work that way. So I think there are a lot of issues that come down to the individual franchisee candidate. So that's the first place. So does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I mean, I know definitely I was at an inflection point in my career and I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I knew I didn't want to go out and get another nine to five job. I wanted to own a business and, and a franchise was presented to me as an option. And I felt that pressure to find one and I didn't have financial pressure. So I was just putting it on myself to find it and get started. And I should have waited, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. but yeah, I mean, definitely I, I had, I was one of those candidates who should have waited, taken my time, looked at more brands and I didn't because I wanted to get going. Yeah. No, I, I, I understand that. And that's where the importance of a consultant comes in, right? Because yeah. if I do my job well, it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be successful, but it should help. And, you know, it, it's understanding how to interact with the consultant and how the consultant interacts with the client that I think is, is critically important as well. So there are other factors, though, why, why it's difficult. Franchisors. The federal government, the Federal Trade Commission specifically, regulates franchising. And they have something we call a franchise disclosure document, right, which is essentially an offering memorandum for franchises. And item 19 is a financial representation. And a franchise brand can say whatever they want, theoretically, as long as it's accurate, about their financials, and they can say nothing at all. And so candidates don't always understand this, but the franchisor is only going to present information in the best possible light for their particular brand. Why? Because they're in the business of perpetuating themselves. How do you perpetuate yourself? By showing better numbers. And that's really important. I have clients all the time where I try to explain like average unit volume. How much is the average franchisee doing in a business? It means nothing. Right. You know, you think about it this way. You know, Christine, if you have a brand that has 20 franchisees, one of them's doing $20 million, everybody else is doing zero, it's got an average of a million dollars, which looks great. It's the distribution that matters. The distribution is critically important. And people don't understand it because we don't know statistics and we don't know franchising. So we just look at the average 
That's what brands are selling. Average means nothing. And so, so I, I think that's a huge challenge. Um, you know, when, when, when you think about the numbers and how, you know, what franchisors are doing and they're not doing it, you know, in, in a, in an unethical manner, they're doing it to perpetuate themselves, which is what they should do. It's incumbent upon the franchisee to do what they should do and to dig in and understand it. I had a client who I, I showed him a business that was great. He came down to the business I showed him in another one with, through another consultant. And the business with the other consultant had an average of about 200,000, I apologize, average of $85,000 of revenue to their franchisees. It was a consulting business. Um, $85,000 was the average before expenses. The average consultant at that firm made approximate consultant uh, franchisee at that firm made probably around $30,000 after their expenses. Now, why is that important? Because the average was 85, but he was convinced that he was going to be one of the top ones. And he, he went ahead with it. And, you know, I hate to say this, he's got no shot at succeeding because nobody succeeds there. He couldn't understand it because he liked, we get enamored with the shiny product. You can work 30 hours a week. You can work from home. It's not life. You got to put in the time and effort. Right. You get out of it what you put in. If you're right. You get out of it what you put in as long as the model will allow you to. Yes. True. Wow. So, um, I mean, there's so much information in the FDDs too. And of course, again, they're presenting it in the best possible way. So franchisees need to perspective need to really dig into it and understand what's in there and uh, and ask questions. I mean, keep asking questions, right? That That's right. It's all about asking questions. I, I always tell my candidates that you're supposed to find out the information. And one of the ways you maximize the franchise exploration process is, is asking questions. And in my book, I have a whole chapter on the due diligence process and, you know, provide structure around it and a ton of questions that you should ask. And then when I talk to my clients as they're going through the process, it's always, okay, so based on our conversation, these are the three or four pieces of information you need to gather. Do you think you're better off getting them from the franchise or other franchisees from a document? And it's always having a plan how to get that information. You had also mentioned the FTC. So how how does that make the landscape confusing, would you say? Like the government and federal sure. tradition. Yeah. What, what's difficult about it is every franchisor, because we all look to the item 19 and right. Um, or item seven, how much is it going to cost me to get in? And the reality is every franchise can frame it differently. There are a lot of them. Like when they do average unit volume, they'll do, if they have 200 franchisees, they'll have a little asterisk that'll say of reporting franchisees. Mm-hmm. And it'll be 88 reporting out of 200. And almost always when they do that, the franchisees that they say are reporting are higher. So the average, the median, everything like that is significant. The actual one is actually significantly lower. So I think if the FTC was going to regulate franchising appropriately, I think that they have to come up with a model and it's okay that a franchisor perhaps can choose not to put anything in, but if you're going to put something in, it has to be everybody or it has to be in in a defined way. So you could compare 
apples to apples because otherwise you you look at two different F, FDDs and th there's there's no systematic way of understanding them next to each other. So so do you feel like the FTC should be should have more regulatory oversight over the industry in general? I'm never going to be I think it's a great question. I'm never going to be Christine the person who who thinks that more government is better. So it's not that it's just more clarity over it. So there's consistency in the message. So when you look at one brand's FDD and another brand, they have to present the information if they're going to choose to in the same way, mm -hmm. because it's really hard for somebody who comes from the outside to look at an FDD and understand it. And, and I, I trained, uh, I don't know, scores of franchise consultants in a particular meeting, explaining to them FDDs and what to look at. And I received 30 responses from, from the different consultants saying, I never knew any of this. Because wow. it's not widespread being, you know, being taught and educated in the different consulting firms. My group, it is. Because we want to make sure that our, our, our consultants understand everything or as much as they can so that their clients can understand and get the, the best guidance, but it's not a widespread uh, practice. Well, I know certainly when you have an emerging brand too, they may not have as much information in the FDD uh, or even have the information to put in it, or maybe they only have right. a few locations open. Well, that's not giving you a very wide view of what the potential could be if they only have four units or whatever it is, right? So I think that also makes the situation more confusing because there are a lot of emerging brands out there, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. The emerging brand isn't for everybody. I presented an emerging brand and, and he's speaking with them today to, to one of my clients, great candidate. The conversation I had with him is this is a newer brand. You are not going to be able to validate. So what you're going to need to look at, which is great advice for anybody in franchising in general, but specifically for sure with an emerging brand, you want to look at the processes, the systems, and you want to understand them exactly and how they're going to translate to you know, revenue clients and, and ultimately um, income for you because you can't validate. And that's a hard part of it. And Christine, when we speak about validation, most brands, and I don't blame them, it's absolutely what they should do, is they have franchisees talk to the top people in a brand. And so that they're hear, hearing better numbers, which which I, I don't have necessarily a problem with, because I do think I tell all my clients, look, if you don't think you're going to be in the top 25, worst case, 50 percent of a franchise, don't do it mm -hmm. wrong brand for you or franchising isn't right for you. So it's 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 OK that they do that. But what happens is if the, if the if the candidates don't understand it when they're talking to the franchisees, they think that's everybody, but it's not. So they extrapolate, well, I spoke to three people who are all making $500,000. I'm going to make 500. It doesn't work that way. No, not at all. Talk about FSOs and how they, how, how they complicate the landscape and understanding how the industry works, et cetera. Yeah. So FSOs, right? Franchise sales organizations. So these are groups of folks who do marketing and sales on behalf of the individual franchise ors. 
And they do a great job of walking candidates through the process. And they get paid. They are not the owners of the franchises. So they get paid when they sell. So they're looking to sell. You know, there are variety. It's like everything, right? There's some fabulous franchisors and there's some that aren't so fabulous. There are some great FSOs and there are some that aren't as, as good. But th- they get paid to sell. So they are always moving people through the process. Their brands, and very few of them do well, who sell 100, 200, even 300 units in their first year of franchising. And it's too much. You need measured growth and they drive growth oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes they drive growth a little bit too fast because that's how they get paid. So again, they're being incentivized. They're doing exactly what they're being incentivized to do, but it doesn't always inert to the benefit of the franchisee. Currently working with a brand, let me state that differently. I'm not working with a brand any any longer, but year to date, they've sold 180 units. I'd be shocked if they were able to support it. So here's what happens. It's an individual unit. It's the corporate location, Christine. And and what happens is corporate's doing really well. So they want to grow it into a franchise. They talk to an FSO and the FSO says, strike while the iron's hot. You're showing two and a half million dollars of revenue, $500,000 of net income. We can sell that all day. So they go out and then they sell, you know, a couple hundred units in a year those numbers are never going to be repeated. The support's different, you know, all of that. But they're striking while the iron's hot because they don't want to get into the, the following year when the numbers don't look as good and it makes it a much harder sell. That makes sense. Yeah, of course, because then you have to start incorporating the new the new units. And, and, and right. they're, I mean, no business is going to have a home run just off the bat. There's always going to be some sort of ramp up time and all that, of course. Yep. FSOs, they um they get involved with the brand when it's at the onset, right? Typically they're not coming in later. They're they're doing it when the brand is first being introduced as a as a franchise brand or not always. Not always. A lot of times it'll be a brand tried to grow on their own and, and struggled, and then they'll come in. So it could be at any stage of development. A lot of times it's early, but it could be at any stage of development. And the thing you have to remember too, is that they they don't have skin in the game other than they're getting paid when they sell. The franchisor has an, has an incentive wanting to grow as well, but they also want it to be sustainable growth versus the FSO. They just, they're, they want to get paid and close the deal and move on. But the franchisor is still left to run the business and want, wants it to be sustainable. Do you find that franchisors try to slow down the process or do they let the FSOs kind of run with it and what happens happens? Yeah, it's a great question. And my my feeling is that they let them grow. Uh, now, I don't know if it's contractual that they can't slow them down. I don't know that. But we as Americans and just people, we keep score. Yeah. And, you know, I'm winning if I'm selling 180, 200, 300 units in a year. I'm a winner. Yeah. And I'll deal with what happens afterwards. Now, I, I, w- I want to be clear about one thing. I think franchising is awesome. And there are a ton of really wonderful FSOs and franchisors 
But from a cultural standpoint, perhaps the industry isn't always set up to deliver a high level to each individual franchisee or franchisee candidate. I think that's that's the takeaway. And so their opportunities and the individual franchisee candidate just needs to be aware of these things as they're going through the process so that they can see the red or perhaps yellow flags as they're moving forward. Absolutely. I know the franchise brand I was in, they were growing very quickly and they sold it as excitement. And if you're unfamiliar with how it works, which I was at that point, I thought that was a you know, to some extent was a, was a selling point. Hey, they're growing. This is exciting. There's going to be all this buzz out there, but you have to weigh it with, can they handle the growth? Can the market handle the growth? Like all of those things need to be considered and you, you do need to pause if they are growing too quickly. And yeah, I think that's right. And they're getting guidance that says, keep growing. We'll help you put the infrastructure in place. And again, when we talk about extrapolation, they know their business real well. They're relying on people to help them grow it. And this is what they're saying. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting it's it's an interesting dynamic. So given all the confusion in the industry, do you think it's possible to gain clarity? And is there hope for prospective franchisees? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. There is. More than hope, there is. There are definitely some ways of moving forward that can ensure as best possible. There are no guarantees in in franchising or in life, but as best possible that a, a candidate can sift through the thousands of franchises, identify the better ones that identify the ones that match their skill set conduct a due diligence and make a fabulous decision for them. So there is definitely a process that that can can get them there. Okay, excellent. And we will definitely talk about that in our next conversation, right? The ways in which we can overcome the confusion and all that. Well, I appreciate you uh, shedding some light on why this industry is so confusing. Tell us and my audience uh, how we can get in touch with you. I appreciate that. So a couple ways to get in touch with me. I love the phone. So feel free to call me 973-452-4558. You can email me at mark with a K at theperfectfranchise.com. Mark with the perfect franchise or at theperfectfranchise.com. Website is the perfect franchise. You could also probably find me on Kindle with the perfect franchise. <laughs> my book. Um, so any, any of those ways, um, and you know, love helping people. And it is so important to, if you're considering franchise ownership to educate yourself as much as possible, honestly, about the industry. There's so many different resources out there. Um, talking to franchise consultants, reading, going on the internet, taking a course. I mean, the, the, there's almost too many resources, uh, so you have to be careful about that, but you can never have too much information, in my opinion. Really educate yourself so that you're armed. You have the best chance of success with that. So, well, we will talk to you next time about how we how we can overcome the confusion and, and give people some insights on that. Sound good? Sounds awesome. Thank you, Christine. Great. Appreciate you.